Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. As we're continuing our series in 1 Peter. Our reading today will be verses 1 through 11 of chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for passions, for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. Peter has been dealing with, all throughout this letter, a group of Christian churches that were experiencing persecution for being a Christian. We saw even some of that here in the rest of the chapter, beginning in verses 12 through 19. He comes back again to that same idea about being surprised when this fiery trial comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. But he tells them to rejoice in their sufferings, to rejoice. And so it's been a theme all throughout this letter from chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. And last week we saw in the first six verses of chapter four, some instructions on how they could live in this present world, living together among the Gentiles uh, in the middle of a very trying and difficult time. In verses 7 through 11, he's continuing that same thing, except the focus here is on uh, enduring persecution, but how do we behave inside of the community? So verses 1 through 6 is kind of how do you behave with the Gentiles that are inviting you to do all of these things that would be against the will of God. And he's encouraging them to follow and live according to the will of God, not according to our human passions. And so how do you live among unbelievers? And in verses 7 through 11, he's now talking about how do we live now among believers? And so he grounds all of this instruction about how to live in the present time uh, among believers uh, this way. And so here's kind of the title of this passage. This is the main ex exhortation here in verses 7 through 11. 
It's living in the shadow of history's climax. I, got, I found that somewhere in one of my uh, commentaries or my studies. I love the way that was phrased. In the shadow of history's climax. What does that mean? It's right from verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. I, I think of that phrase and I think of, uh, you know, like kind of those, the, maybe some strange figures, strange humans that maybe, because uh, now maybe I grew up in California. Maybe you didn't see this in Michigan, but I would see this back in the 70s in Michigan. They'd wear like the sandwich board placard things that front and back, it says the end is near or something kind of like this, right? You know, the end is near. Because the kids don't know what the sandwich placards things are. Uh, I saw these. I used to see these in my hometown uh, in California. And uh, there would be people who would say the end is near. The end is coming. Is that what Peter is getting at here? Well, kind of. uh, But I think there's some important things that we should explain on what he means here by the end of all things is at hand. Here he's. He's specifically talking about how all of the major events of God's plan of redemption have occurred sans one. All of the major events of God's redemption from creation to fall to the covenants that God had given first to to Noah and then to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham to deliver his people out of their bondage of slavery in Egypt. And he does so miraculously with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He makes a covenant with that people Israel on Mount Sinai with Moses. God makes, extends that covenant and uh, expands it to, to his covenant with David, that he will establish a kingdom that will last forever. And that he will set a son of David on that king, on that throne forever and ever. And how Jesus is that son of David who came in his perfect life and suffered that brutal death, his burial and his resurrection and his appearance to the disciples and to hundreds of others. And then his ascension into the heavens, all of the major events of God's plan of redemption have happened except for one. The last event in that sequence is Christ's coming again to judge. It's the second coming of Christ. And so what Peter is saying here is that all of these things, the telos of all of these things has, is upon us. We're just awaiting this last step. And in fact, Jesus could return at any moment. It's a frequent motivation. That fact that Jesus could return at any moment is a frequent motivation for the Christian life in the scriptures. A very frequent motivation. Here's a couple of other verses that suggest this. Paul writing in Romans. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up. Wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So you notice that the, the end is coming. Live accordingly. Or like in Philippians chapter 4. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
Why? The Lord is at hand. Or as the writer of Hebrews says to uh, another group of people who are experiencing persecution and the temptation to withdraw from the Christian community, he says you should not neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And this is a verse that we hear frequently, especially in the, the lockdowns, uh, about the need and the importance of gathering together as God's people. But notice how he grounds it. Don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching. The Lord's return. Church attendance should go up, not down. All the more. Or James says something similar in James as he ends his letter. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. If Christians know that Christ is going to come at any moment as promised, then that really needs to guide and direct how we live today. And so Peter gives here, I think, five implications of Christ's imminent return in our lives. Since the end of all things is at hand, he gives us five instructions here. The first one is this, to live seriously and soberly. The rest of verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, notice that therefore is going back to the end of all things. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Okay? Self-controlled. The word here, it's, it means a cool head. Like, you ever meet those people that doesn't matter? They're not flustered by anything. They kind of just take everything that comes. They just seem cool-headed. You know anybody like that? Yeah. You're not picturing me, are you, right? They're, they're cool-headed. They have a sound and balanced mind. I'd like to think I'd have a sound and balanced mind. But it, I, I saw this description of it. Thinking about and evaluating situations maturely and carefully. It came, that came from Grudem's commentary. Thinking about and evaluating situations maturely and correctly. You know somebody kind of like that? Peter says, therefore, in light of the end of all things being near, this is the trait you need to have, is to be self-controlled, cool-headed. And then the, the one that goes with it here is sober-minded. We already saw this term in chapter 1, verse 13. Look back there at chapter 1, verse 13. Where in his call for them to be holy, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of that has brought you. Remember, we saw this. Preparing your minds is a gird up the loins of your minds. You know, you're taking all of that fabric of your garment. You're wrapping it around so that your legs are free. You're ready to, for action. You're ready to run or you're ready to fight. And he says, do that with your minds. And then he goes, then you're, then you're self-controlled and you're cool and calm and collected. And you'll be able to handle what's coming to you. So he's just repeating that instruction here in verse 7. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Which, the word sober here, it means, it's referring to physical drunkenness. So like, don't be drunk, don't take on the, the drink. Like we saw in the previous verses, which is probably what's in his mind here, when he's looking at those who go into drunkenness and drinking parties, he says, no, you, you shouldn't do that. Instead, you should not have a mental intoxication. You should not inhibit your awareness your spiritual alertness to what's going on in the world today. 
So it's self-controlled and sober-minded. Not somber. When I was a kid, I always got those two words mixed up. Sober and somber. Um, and I thought, you know, oh, sober means, somber means you can't have any fun. You're serious all the time. I don't think that's what Peter is getting at here. I think he's just talking about the mental alertness to recognize in a spiritual way, to spiritually see what's going on in the world around you. Being prepared for Christ's return. Jesus talks about uh, this, and I think Peter, we know Peter was with Jesus, and he heard him teach all throughout his ministry. But in Matthew chapter 4, I invite you to turn there with me. Again, stressing this idea that because the end is near, there's a seriousness, and again, not... Not a somberness, but a seriousness with which we need to have our minds affixed when we think of the world today. Notice verses 36 through 44. And again, this is connected to the return of Christ. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, this is the day and the hour of when the coming of the Son of Man will be a few verses earlier concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. Well, what, is, what does that mean? For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Jesus says, so will be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be at the field in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two men will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. And here's this, his main point driving this home. Verses 42 and 44. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the knife the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This verse has some uh, some poignancy for me this morning because I was meditating on it. Read these passages before I go to sleep. And uh, and I was went kind of to bed a little bit late and I was reading these passages and our dog Daisy just erupted in barking at three thirty in the morning. Just erupted in barking. And I was like, oh, the thief is coming to break in and steal. Like, I, So I was, I'm, was applying scripture to my life. And so running to go see what Daisy was barking at. We didn't see anything. It was probably a squirrel or something. I don't know. But here's the point. Christ's imminent return should influence how we live now. We need to live seriously and soberly and also prayerfully, prayerfully. This is the second one. Live watching and praying. Live watching and praying. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. For your prayers. And notice that the prayers is plural here. It's not just kind of in the abstract concept. You know, for the sake of praying. He's talking about your prayers, the ongoing, regular uh, aspect of your life. What's the importance of praying and the connection between praying and the... And living in the, the shadow of history's climax, the, re, the end of all things. Well, prayer is one of the primary means of communication with our God. 
And I think some of the connection, I think that should be one of the main connections you should see in light of Christ's return at happening in any moment and prayer being the main vehicle communication of community with God, then the two should go hand in hand. We read Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 earlier. Here's the rest of that passage. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be uh, made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice the connection. It's immediately like the Lord is at hand, therefore, and he lists the four main terms that are used for prayer. So living in the shadow of history's climax should cause us to be alert, spiritually alert and uh, sober to the events in the world. And then also for the sake of your prayers, meaning it, the, the goal of that is for us to pray. So here's the practice. Here's the practice that that I've uh, been challenged to do more and more so in the last year or so. And that is to remove the barrier between reading the news and my devotional life. Okay, remove the barrier that's between reading the news and your devotional life. Instead, fuse the two together. So think, okay, I'm going to I'm going to go through my news feed. Now it's time to pray. Right. How many of you kind of have that, you know, you'll maybe you'll get up and you'll read your your devotional in the morning and you'll you'll pray and then you'll go and you read your Twitter feed and then you're just like, oh, I can't believe what's going on in the world. You know, and instead remove that barrier between what you see going on in the world and prayer, because I think that's what Peter is getting at here. Hey, the end of all things is at hand. Be alert to what's going on for the sake of prayer. For the sake of your prayers. So live seriously and soberly. Live watching and praying. And then he gets in with uh, this. Talking about how to now live here among the community. Live with fervent love for fellow believers. Fervent love for fellow believers. Verse 8. Above all keep loving one another earnestly. Obviously this is a trait of Jesus' disciples. They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. Notice that in the larger picture of this letter, he's talking about the suffering and the persecution that you're going to experience for the, the Christian faith and the tendency to withdraw and pull back uh, or to isolate yourself is very great. Peter says that's the opposite thing that you should do. As a matter of fact, you should get down in deeper into loving other people. Now, remember, love is not just, you know, the butterflies in the stomach for other Christians in the church. It's not a bad thing. But love is sacrificial, selfless giving, loving other people in the church. There's no there's no let's head for the hills. Every man for himself. When things get bad, you get you get tighter into your brotherhood. The importance of the Christian community when faced from threats of outsiders, it becomes even more important, especially in light of Christ's impending return. And notice the insight that's connected to this one, right? So above all, keep loving one another earnestly since 
Love covers a multitude of sins. It was a fascinating little phrase to, to meditate on. Love covers a multitude of sins. He's actually just quoting here from Proverbs chapter, chapter 10. Where Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife. No shortage of that in the world today. But love covers all offenses. James says something very similar at the end of his, uh, his letter. Where uh, for love covers all sorts of sins. That's to restore. That's in the context of restoring somebody who's wandered from the truth. So love in that case means encouraging one another to hold on to the truth. So we're to love one another fervently. And I thought it might be helpful to just read uh, the great love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're there, I encourage you to to look there in your Bibles. Okay? People are sometimes surprised that this, this is not about marriage. I mean, it is about marriage. But Paul is not giving these verses that are quoted often in marriage ceremonies that this isn't just about marriage. This is about how to people with uh, differences in the church are to be together. And so I thought, oh, well, let's, let's take this from the, the sphere of a marriage ceremony and let's take these verses in light of what Peter says in verse 8 about above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And let's listen to the challenge here that Paul gives us about love and apply it to us around here. As you hear these words, think of it in the context of the church. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. What a great reminder that Peter gives us here. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly because as the pressures from those on the outside to slander your name and to revile you, it's so much more important to seek that solace and refuge in the church community. And then doing so, then you love one another. And when you're experiencing suffering and persecution and hardship, it should be a little easier to focus on loving one another. It's hard to have the energy to 
have resentment or catalog this grievances that you would have when you know that these people are all I have with a world that hates me. So love covers over a multitude of sins. That's number three. Number four, two more. Live showing hospitality and do it ungrudgingly. Live showing hospitality and doing it ungrudgingly. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay. Now we've seen this word hospitality before. Um, I don't, not in this letter. I think when we did uh, the book of Titus. Um, but it's that the, the word where we get hospitable or ho- uh, hospitality comes from the, the combination of the two words, phylos and xenos. It means the love of strangers, the love of the foreigner, the, one, the love of the one who maybe is different than you. So this is an extension of loving one another fervently. And he says this, this extends be, beyond just loving the ones that you like or the ones that you have a lot of things in common with. This is loving the stranger. Inviting them into your home. This is one of the most ancient, the, the, uh, one of the most kind of ancient Christian expressions of love is simply bringing a fellow believer into your, into your home. It's such an important thing. This word occurs. It becomes the criteria for elders and leaders of the church. First Timothy three, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, there's self-controlled, some of the other pe- words Peter uses, respectable, hospitable. Titus chapter 1 says the same thing. Romans chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 13 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So so hospitality and do it ungrudgingly. I, I wondered why Peter added the ungrudgingly part. Is it kind of grudging to do it? To bring people into your home? Maybe you're like, oh, I love the idea. I love people and I want to bring the people into my home. But that means I have to clean it. Oh, just let that go. Let that go. Oh, it's going to be so much time. Oh, it's going to be don't no, let those things go. And just show hospitality. More I could say on that, but we need to get to number five. Number five, live using your spiritual gift. Live using your spiritual gift. Verses 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Okay, there's your, that's the main exhortation here. The fifth one that he gives. To serve your church with the unique God-gifted contribution that you have. Now, what does gift mean here? Each you received a gift. That's the word um, charisma. And it's related to the word grace. Caritas. I mean, it's an undeserved gift. And it's something that here's a couple of criteria for us to, to know about spiritual gifts. Every Christian has one. Every Christian has a gift of grace. Every, each and every believer has a unique contribution that they could bring to the larger community. Let me give you a couple of passages uh, for you to, to look at and study where he gives a list of the various kinds of spiritual gifts. Gifts given from the Holy Spirit for, into every single believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, 
and Ephesians chapter 4. There you have a variety and a collection of the different gifts that are there. But here's the assumption that's all throughout the, the New Testament passages. Every Christian has one. Number two, we are to serve as good stewards. Notice what it says there at the rest of verse 10. As good stewards of God's very grace. Each of you has received a gift, then use it to serve one another. And that there's, a, there's an obligation of stewardship connected to this. We are all responsible for knowing what that gift is and then using it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Jesus here tells a, a story. Luke chapter, middle of chapter 12, he talks about do not be anxious. And in chapter 12 of Luke, beginning in verse 35, he, he starts to talk to them about what we've just talking about this entire sermon. Living in the shadow of history's climax. Living in light of the possible return or the imminent return of Christ. Verse 35, stay dressed for action. Here, here's that same one we saw in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. The girding up your loins, stay dressed for action, being ready, keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may not uh, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are the servants who find their master, whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? meaning just the disciples are for all. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his fat master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did not deserve a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of much of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Here, Jesus is saying the, the time is coming. Be ready and be acting as the good stewards and the good servants. To steward the gifts that God has given you and to do so well. So again, every Christian has a gift. 
Every Christian should, uh, should be good stewards of that gift. There are various types of gifts that we see in those lists. And uh, what's interesting about those different lists is that there, there's no uniformity of these gifts. Paul gives one list one place uh, and a different list in another place and a different list in another place. And you're like, well, some of them overlap. But what's going on? I mean, if it seems like it was one set body of information, it would have been pretty consistent all the way through. It's a variety, a wide variety of gifts. Good things that you do for the building up of the church. But Peter gives two basic categories for us here. If you could divide the gifts into groups, in two groups, Here's the two basic groups. Verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Speaking gifts. Speaking the oracles of God. So some who are gifted as teachers or evangelists or preachers. Now, some often think, well, that's the only real good way to serve Christ and his kingdom in the church. And I'm not a good speaker. Well, the answer is, well, that's not the only way that you could serve Christ and his church and his kingdom and to build it up. You also do it by serving, ministering in the strength that God has provided for you. And so here's the thing. Uh, if I could interject this little bit here too. Don't, uh, don't wait for a program. Don't wait for the, like a highly structured you know, website where you could go in and enter in your spiritual gifts and then boom, out pops the, the thing behind you. Uh, the only spiritual gift inventory I recommend is the one at the Babylon Bee. Okay, so go, go check that one out. Huh? Amen, amen. I got an amen. Um, but... What is it? You got you know a little bit of what your makeup is and how you could serve in the church. You know people in the church serve. We could talk more about this, but um, every Christian has a gift. Serve as God's stewards. There are various types of gifts, but if there's two categories of them, some are speaking gifts and some are serving gifts. But here's the point: the exercise of the gifts is for two purposes. One, to build up the church. To build up the church, ministering to one another. Use it to serve one another. And then the second one is to honor God. The very end of verse three, uh, verse 11. In order that, okay, and again, that's one of those, you've heard me talk about this. The therefores, the so that's, um, the senses. In order that. In order that. You've received a gift. Use it to serve one another. Steward it well. Figure out what it is. If it's speaking, speak. If it's serving, serve. But know that the reason that you have that gift is so that in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's for God's glory in all things. You want to glorify God in your Christian walk, then serve others in the church according to the gifting that you've been given. And it will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And why? Because he deserves it. To him belong glory and dominion 
forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. So living in the shadow of history's climax, live seriously, soberly, watching and praying. Remove that distinction between your reading the news and your devotional life. Live with fervent love for believers, show hospitality, and then use the gift that God has provided for you and bring glory to Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen and amen. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we again express our true gratitude for the grace that you have shown us that's culminated in your son, Jesus Christ. Your, pro- your promised plan to redeem a people for your own name and how we find that now through Jesus the Messiah, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. God, help us to be mindful that he is coming again. Help us to be ready. Help us steward our resources wisely. We thank you for the encouragement that this word has given us. May what we have meditated on and reflected on here in these moments embed deeply into our souls that roots may be pushed down and that we would by your spirit bear much fruit. May that be so. We ask this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand for our closing uh, benediction. Reminder that the offering um, boxes out there in the hallway, if you have any uh, questions or uh, some other little prayer requests or uh, things that you didn't want to mention during our prayer time, I'd be glad to talk with you uh, afterward. Uh, Now for our closing uh, benediction. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.